in gospel community. Um, the youth are actually going to stay in with us today. So if you're in grades 5 through 12, often we'll, we'll send you out with your leaders. But you're going to be in here with us today. So we're glad that, that you're part of what, what God's doing uh, in here. Uh, we're going to talk about gospel community. And next week, we're actually going to go into a four-week series on uh, the gospel. Uh, we, gospel is a word that we talk about a whole lot uh, in church, and sometimes maybe like like what it, what does that really mean, and what does it mean for our lives? And so we're actually going to go through a, a four part series that's really going to ground us in that. Maybe you've been in church for a while, and you even throw the the G word, the gospel word, around uh, a lot. But uh, what really does it, uh, the Bible says that the gospel is is the power uh, for salvation? That the gospel transforms us. So what does that mean in our lives? But uh, today I want to focus on this word community, as it's a word that we talk about uh, quite a bit here. We, we throw it around community. Uh, so as we see that word a lot, what is community really? Uh, community is a, a people that, is, uh, that are centered on something. Uh, so we have communities all around us in ways that we're familiar with. So uh, we have communities based on where we uh, live. So uh, some of us have neighborhoods where we live, apartment complexes. There's a, there's a community there. Or, or we have a community that's centered around some purpose. So you go to work, and there you're with a community of people centered on the purpose of work, whatever that work may be. Or you go into a classroom, and you're there uh, for one purpose, to learn that material. And that's a community that you're in for a certain period of time. So a community is centered on, uh, a people centered on something. Our community, the way we talk about our community, which is the same as church, what church is, our community is a people that is not just centered on something, but centered on someone, and his name is Jesus. And so uh, that's what we call, it's a Jesus-centered community. Uh, that's what we're looking at. We're people from all different backgrounds, all different places. Maybe uh, you haven't even really been a person of faith or you came from some other religion. You're checking out Christianity or maybe you don't know what you believe. We come from all over the place, all different diversities, all different ethnicities, uh, all different financial backgrounds, academic backgrounds. Uh, and we come and as a church, we're not centered on any of those similarities except centered on the one person of Jesus Christ. That is what our community is. That's what I'm talking about when we say gospel community. Now that, that community is a context where God would have us grow in life, uh, grow in our walk with him. It is also the context by where we are uh, supported and get cared for. So many of us come to the church to be cared for uh, well and uh, be cared for with the love of Christ. And that's what we are here for. Um, we also find purpose and mission because uh, we believe God has called us to be part of his great mission and purposes in this world. And so we're about a purpose, Christ's purpose, not our own purposes, preferences, opinions, any of that. As a gospel community, uh, it, community is the context by where we grow, where we're cared for, where we are on God's purpose for our lives. Now, very often that community may look different for different ones, ones of us. And, uh, you know, for some, uh, you know, so for those 50 guys right now, it looks like, uh, you know, snuggling up in a tent together is kind of, you know, pretty intimate community there. And for others, it may be, you know, two uh, women that get together for coffee or uh, what Paul already said that we have, you know, discovery groups. Uh, we call that community. What we do on Sunday morning, this is a bit larger form of community, but we're coming together in order to seek God to, to worship him centered on Jesus. 
And, and so it looks different sometimes, but what we need to understand is that community is more than just about friendship. And sometimes we come to church or we're seeking friendships because we want to have that companionship, but, but community, as we think of it, is more than friendship. Community is more than just a biblical mandate because the Bible does tell us we're to walk together, we're to uh, do a lot of things for one another, pray for one another, serve one another, build one another up, encourage one another. Um, but it's more than just a biblical mandate. Okay, I have to be in community, so I'm there. We need to understand that community flows from the very nature of who God is. Uh, we believe in the Trinity, the three-person God where his nature is Father, Son, Holy Spirit that has been eternally present, God with one another in his very nature. And so community actually flows from who God is. And when he created humanity, when he created us, he created us to have relationship, community with him, and then community with one another. And so we uh, sometimes get married. We have community within the church. We have our families and that is all a community that flows from who God is. Now, we've been in a series in Proverbs. We're not going to uh, really be deeply in Proverbs today. I'm going to use it as kind of a jumping point. Uh, and then we'll look at some other scriptures as well to talk about this topic of uh, life and gospel community. Um, and so uh, where we're going to begin, if you need a Bible, I want you to have a Bible. Um, so uh, just go ahead and put up your hands. One of our ushers will bring you a Bible. We're going to look at some different verses that will also be on the PowerPoint. You can also open that Bible app and uh, pull out your notes and take some notes there. But I want to begin in Proverbs where we've been talking about wise living, what it means to live wisely, to live the blessed life that God has for us. So how do we uh, organize our life? How do we just live in view of the plan God has for us rather than our own plan? Because there's different paths in life we can take. We can choose our own path and get what we get from ourselves, or we can choose the path that God has for us. The choice is ours, but we've been looking, hey, we want what God has for us. We want that blessed life. And so Proverbs 13, 20, it says this, he or she who walks with the wise grows wise, but the companion of fools suffers great harm. Speaks of community, that the people that we walk with sometimes determine the path that we go on. That if we walk with the wise, people that are seeking God's path as well, well, we will grow wiser still. But if we choose to walk with people who don't seek God's path, well, it will bring us great harm. We'll miss out on the blessing that we have. So what comes from this verse is this, that there is a community that is helpful, a community that is beneficial. There's a type of community that is wise for us, that is God's sort of community for us. And we can choose that. There's also a community that is not only unhelpful, but can also be harmful. And so we want to look at how it is that we walk in community. Now, as Christians, what we may often do is say, yeah, we need to walk with good church people. And so we look at this and say, and as long as we stay away from uh, you know, the, the, the wrong sorts of people, as long as we don't smoke or chew or hang with girls who do, you know, that type thing, then, then we're, we're wise living, we're, we're doing it well, we're showing up Sunday, we're, you know, hanging with the, the right people for, you know, an hour and a half uh, on a Sunday morning. But I think there's a deeper message, especially for us church people, 
I, I know there's some people who aren't church people here, and that is, uh, that is awesome. We're, we're glad you're here, and we hope you experience this uh, God-given community. Uh, but I want to challenge us to say it's not just about getting away from the wrong sorts of people. It's how that we live and dwell and walk together in this thing called church, this community that's centered on Christ. Because over the years as a pastor, I've learned that there's a manner that we can walk together with one another in church, or with our Christian friends even, or with our Christian spouses even, that can be more harmful than helpful. That is more harmful to people, that is more harmful to marriages, that is more harmful to kids, that is more harmful to the name of Jesus. In fact, a way that we walk together that causes generations to stumble. In fact, it did back when Jesus was walking the earth and it still does today. It is what I call and refer to as superficial community. Superficial community, the way I'll define it is this. It's just living on the surface level. Not getting below what's on the surface, what's on the outside. So it means uh, looking good on the outside, taking care of, making sure we're all put together, making sure even we're behaving well at some times, but never getting deeper than surface level. I don't know if you've been to Disneyland recently. Disneyland has a, uh, has a motto. It says, the show must go on. And as a Disneyland, it's been a few years now, but I remember thinking this last time I was there, um, because Disneyland, in this motto, uh, when the characters are in character all over the park, it is absolutely essential that they stay in character for the well-being of our little children, and maybe for some of us as well. We want them to be in character. And so uh, by goes Peter Pan prancing in his, you know, little green tights. Uh, and I see him go behind the stage, and I wonder what happens when that Peter Pan goes behind the stage, when the tights and the mask can come off. Is no longer Peter Pan, but who is that person really? Because I'm very aware that it is the show here must go on. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of dressing up as a character, um, but there was a time in college that I worked in an aquarium, and one of the uh, roles for the newbies was to uh, be Perky the Penguin <laughs> for uh, the birthday parties for the kids. And so um, had the opportunity to be Perky the Penguin only once um, because, you see, the costume was a little too short. And they found that, you know, hairy legs sticking out were a little scary for the kids. And so um, only got to do it once. But I'll tell you, it was kind of miserable. You know, on the outside, there's just this smiley kind of, you know, perky penguin face that's glued on there. You know, but inside, you're miserable. I mean, the kids are hitting you. It's hot. It's sweaty. It's just, you can't wait to get out of it because it's just overbearing. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to be in that sort of costume. But how many of us dress up very often? How many of us put on the mask? Maybe even every day. Maybe every Sunday, perhaps. Putting on the mask, the show must go on. I'll submit to you that that is not the type of community that Christ has in mind for his people. I'll submit to you that he has a different way for us that is a wise sort of community. 
where he wants us to be. It's not superficial community. It's what I refer to as authentic community. In an authentic community, people see the real you. The mask comes off. You're free to be who you really are. No more overbearing, trying to keep up the show, but just being who you are. Now, the problem is very often we don't want people to see the real us, right? There's a reason that we put on the mask, because we want everybody to think that we have it all together. We have it together emotionally. We have it together physically. We have all our ducks in the row. We have it all together spiritually, academically, financially. We are uh, living the part. But the reality is that we all have these masks that we put on. I have some masks that, that I've used over the years. You know, as a pastor, I, I want to be never let, letting anybody down, you know, spiritually. And so I, I've brought a few of my masks here, and here's one of them. It's what I call Holy John. You know, kind of standing here on the stage, you know, uh, being able to, okay, you know, pray over the people. And John, he must always be, you know, prayerful. He must always be in God's word. And it can be like, yeah, we can put on that, that mask, holy John, never struggling with anything, always seem to have it together, right? There's another mask that I have. I call it happy John, okay? And there's happy John, you know, never having uh, any, I mean, I'm out there coaching four-year-old kids in soccer. Do you think that's really happy there? You know, I mean, as they're pulling on you, they're pushing on you, they're testing your patience. But you put on the mat. You've got to stay happy. You've got to get through the practice because you don't want anybody to see the struggling, the hurting, the tired, the alone. So we put on that all of our relationships must be in order. Here's another one that, that I have. See, uh, when I feel insecure, when I feel inadequate, when I'm tasked with, with leadership, but I feel just kind of the burden that that brings and not feeling like, like I add up, I put on the accomplished John mask. I start talking about things. Yeah, I got my PhD. I, I went and I was in marine biology and I, I accomplished that. I can even go and then talk about, yeah, and then I got another degree in, in seminary. Which one do you want to talk about? I did that when I had my four kids and look at all that I've accomplished. When behind that, it's very, if I be honest and authentic with you, is often struggles with insecurity. Often struggles with not having it together. Not feeling always happy like everything is going right. And I'm sure as you think about it too, you can have some masks that you put on for people. That you go to when you're feeling vulnerable. That you go to and put on for people to show that we have it all together. What we're really going on is something beneath the surface. Now, sometimes it seems better to live that way. Sometimes it seems like people around us don't want to be bothered. They just want to ask, how are you? And they want to hear, fine, how are you? You know, we don't have time to actually hear, you know what? Things are really a struggle right now. Things are not fine. We, sometimes we even hold up different leaders and, and say we want them to uh, be perfect. We want to have this image of that as if there is anybody out there who is perfect. But sometimes it seems better. And we develop this whole system. In church, it turns into religion 
where we just kind of go through the part. We show up. We don't let anybody see the real us. We don't talk about the issues that are going on below the surface. We don't let people know the struggles that we're having because we want to put on the holy, happy, accomplished face. It's kind of like what it was when Jesus showed up. There had come a whole religious structure A group of people, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, he called them, that had shown up. And Jesus really reserved his hardest words for this group of people. And we're going to look at one of these interactions in Matthew chapter 23, if you want to turn there with me. If you have one of the the Bibles from the seats here, it'll be on page 706. Matthew chapter 23. This is Jesus talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now that may be a word that we're familiar with, right? So we, we hate hypocrites in church. You know, that word hypocrites actually refers to the Greek actors who used to play parts in the plays. It was a Greek word for the people that put on masks and acted as something they were not. That's what it means to be a hypocrite. And Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. We get the picture, right? Sometimes it's just trying to polish the outside. Clean the outside. Keep the outside clean. And never taking care of really what's at the root of going on that makes it too dirty for use to begin with. Now one of the things that um, reminds me that I'm not truly, even after 15 years Californian, is that I don't like guacamole. I know some of you will be very offended by that. But there's something, it's not even the taste, it's the consistency. It's that when you leave it out for an hour, it turns from bright green to this dark, disgusting green. If you've ever had it in a bowl and left it overnight, you got to get the chisel out to clean out that inside of the cup. And there's been times when we put it in our dishwasher and the outside comes out clean and you have the cover on and you take the cover off and it would not be useful for anything. You wouldn't put that out there for anybody to see or anything to use. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying you're just washing the outside. You're not looking at the inside, taking care of the the gunk that's caked on there. Because if you don't take care of that, then it's never really right. Never really as it's to be. And Jesus speaks harshly. And again, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within they are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Hypocrisy, superficiality, being the play actor, the show must go on. Now Jesus is very clear, this isn't a good situation for anybody. It's not good for the Pharisees. He says, woe to you. That doesn't sound good. That's not where uh, we want to be. That doesn't sound like the wise or the blessed life. He says, woe to you. And in fact, Jesus harsh thing with, these were the leaders. 
And he spoke to them and said, you're leading a whole generation astray. In fact, earlier in that passage, he calls them blind guides. You're leading people. People are following you, but you're leading them in the wrong direction. You're leading more people to polish the outsides, not take care of the inside. You're causing those around to stumble. And this is where Jesus steps in. And all throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus reaching out to sinners. Those who, inside and out, and they look dirty. Inside and out, they've had it caked on for years and years. Outside and inside, they're considered unclean. But Jesus welcomes them to come. And Jesus does a work within them to change the inside. First, that then the outside behaviors, the outside looks within flow from what he's doing within. Because the heart is the wellspring of life. And if we're a community centered on Jesus, that's what we need to grasp and to understand. We're not superficial community here. Because we are people who know Jesus, who understand his gospel truth. Where he says, come as you are. Let me change you. And so we come to Jesus with whatever we've got from our past. And he went to the cross and he took all of that on himself and says, now go sin no more. Grow in me. Yes, take care of some of those outside things as well. But don't just take care of the outside without first taking care of the inside. And that's the community that we need to grasp, that we need to understand. And so here are a few things that uh, we really need to hold on to if we're going to be that sort of community. And number one is this. We are all sinful, faithless, hurting people who desperately need Jesus continually. We are all, there's no one who's righteous, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us live in a broken world where broken things are done to us and broken things come out of us. We are all in that boat and we desperately need Jesus. There's no one who shows up righteous on themselves. There's no one who can do it on their own. We all come needing Jesus and we need to remember that. We also need to grasp this, that we are part of a long legacy of trying to cover up, trying to do it on our own. I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, uh, Genesis. If you want to flip back there, just be a few pages into your Bible, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 1 and 2 tells the story of God creating the world, God creating humanity, and everything was perfect, everything was right. And at the end of chapter 2, as just kind of a, a symbolism of the relationship before God and the, the relationship with one another, it says this, the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. I mean, it's a literal thing. They were standing there naked, but there was no shame among them. And then Genesis 3 comes. If you know it, or if you don't, just to summarize, is that man and woman decided to try things on their own, to walk away from God's blessed path and say, we're going to try our own. And so they do. They try it on their own. 
And picking up in Genesis 3, verse 7, it says this, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, if we follow what's happened there, because of sin, they all of a sudden come not only aware of their nakedness, but aware of the shame that comes with it. And so they do whatever they desperately can do, sewing together fig leaves with vines or whatever works and try to make coverings for themselves because they're feeling the shame of their nakedness. And it continues, it says, They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? They were so scared. God had walked with them and they were open. They were naked and unashamed. But now God comes walking. They're not only trying to hide from one another. They're trying to hide from God. Because they know that they've disobeyed. They're feeling the guilt. They're feeling the shame. And so they're hiding in the bushes with their little loincloths on. But God in his grace comes and calls to them. Where are you? Adam gets real here. He says, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Thus begins the legacy and the reality of our sin and of our shame and of our guilt. Constantly trying to cover up in whatever way that we can. But what we need to understand is that God sees us in our hiding. And he comes to us anyway. And he reaches out to us. He says, where are you? He says, I want you. I want this relationship. And God does an amazing thing. Uh, later in verse 21, it says, The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife Eve garments of skins and clothed them. God in his grace provides a covering for the people that are naked and ashamed in their guilt and in their sin. Now, that's just a foreshadowing of what is eventually to come in God sending his son Jesus, who would be the ultimate covering for our sin, for once and for all to take our guilt, to take our shame through his death on the cross. Jesus died a death on the cross where he was naked and beaten and shamed and mocked. And he did it for us because that's what our sin brings. But, but Jesus provided the covering. It says in Galatians chapter 3 this. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. The New International Version says you have been clothed with Christ. The ultimate covering for our sin. If you have believed on Christ's sacrifice, then you have been clothed in him. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ. You are a gospel community defined not by your nakedness, not by your guilt, not by your shame, not by your gender, not by your ethnicity, not by your background or whatever you've done, wherever you've been, but you are defined by Christ if you have trusted in him. That's the community that we are. And so what that means for us is that we come, as we come together, we're not trying to cover ourselves up. No, we're coming, we're realizing we're all broken in need of Jesus. And he has done a work on our behalf to allow us to be free 
And we can be confident first and foremost before God because he has said, when I look at you, I see Jesus. I see you washed white inside and out. Now live from that place. And friends, if we can be confident before almighty God, I know a lot of us, we're people pleasers, we care what people say, but if God speaks to you as sons and daughters, if he gives you your value, if he gives you your identity, ultimately it doesn't matter what judgment is coming from around. And if we can be confident before God, our identity can be transformed by the gospel reality that we live in. And that can transform not only our lives by giving us that freedom, but also the community that we're a part of. And I believe our world as well. Because people don't want to see the show. People have grown far tired of seeing the show that is church. Far tired of seeing the religious system. I'll tell you, the people that do this awesomely are those who just come to know Jesus. If, you, if you've met, if you've talked with people, if you've ministered to people here that just come, as soon as they come to know Jesus, I mean, they're an open book. Hey, here are all my sins, but they know Jesus has wiped it clean. But if you hang around church long enough, you begin to see that, you know, that makes people uncomfortable. And so you begin to work into the system a little bit. And for those of us that have been in the system for a while, that are now supposed to be the happy and the holy and even the leader people. Now, I can't dare let anybody know that I have questions or doubts. I can't dare let anybody know that I stumbled and fell this past week. I can't dare let anybody know. And we build up a system that Jesus came to tear down. How do we unravel that? Because I think it's important for us as a church, as you continue to, to grow, the more people you're around, you tend to live superficially more. You know, kind of newer people, our trust is a little bit down. But how do we just, as a core community in the church here, just come and say, this is who we are. We are defined by the gospel, not what anybody else is. How do we begin to unravel this? I just want to end by giving us a few keys for building authentic community. And without a doubt, it begins with Jesus. It doesn't begin with trying to clean the outside of the cup, with doing more religious things. It comes by humbling ourselves before Jesus, remembering the gospel over again, that I'm a sinner. Not only have I stumbled in my past, but I stumbled this past week. But God's grace is sufficient for me. That's what we do on Sunday mornings when we come together. When we take communion, when we sing we are reminded of what Christ has done for us. And we need that reminder. And we need to grow in that. But beyond beginning with Jesus, how, how do we build this sort of church? How do we become this sort of church? Uh, number one that I give us is this. It begins with the leaders. It begins with the leaders. Now, some of you here are leaders um, already. And some of you will be a leader one day. I believe authenticity begins with the leaders. I'll never sit down across from somebody in a booth or in a table and ask them to spill their guts to me, to share their sins, their temptations, their trials, to share their struggles in their marriages without being willing to share my own. And we're not going to do that as leaders. We have an incredible example from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 
he, he leads by, by saying this. Paul was a great leader, a missionary of the church. And he says this is how uh, he called them to do ministry, how he called himself. He says, for consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And that's who we are when we come to Christ. We're people who have realized, hey, we don't have it all together. We need Jesus. And so he's saying, remember where you were when you were first called. You didn't think you had it all together. Go back to that time when God called the weak, the foolish. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. You know, what religious people do is we tend to boast in the things that we do. I know this much about the Bible, and we put on these masks. I've done these good things. I've done this many mission trips. Hey, I pray in public in an incredible way. That says we're not to boast in anybody but in Christ. Paul continues in the next chapter and he says this, And I, even I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, what we do here, it's not about eloquent speech. It's not about great music, though God has gifted some different people in some different ways to serve Him. But we're to constantly look back and say, it's not about who we are the skills that we're able to do, because spiritually we can do nothing. We can elevate, hey, this is how good we are, but we don't want to do that. We want to elevate Jesus and be reminded of our weakness. And God is gracious to to remind us of our weakness. I just come through um, a, a hard season. Um, You know, when I, um, when I first became a pastor 10 years ago, some, many of you know my story, but uh, I became a pastor at the age of 27, fresh out of, not seminary, but fresh out of uh, getting my PhD as a marine biologist. I was entrusted with the leadership uh, of this church here. By God's grace, I, he gave me an ability to teach his word, but... Man, my wife and I, we, we came and we said, what do we have to offer? What do we know about pastoring? What do we, and we just came before the church with all authenticity and just said, hey, here's the things that we've struggled with. All we have is the testimony about what Jesus has done. So this is who we are. We're going to be real. We're going to be authentic. But over the years, there has to be, especially as, as there's, there's growth, you can begin to say, okay, I'm going to be a little bit more guarded. I'm going to begin a little more protected. You get hurt by some people, and you begin to protect a little bit more. As our staff began to grow over the last couple years, I realized I've focused a lot more 
on my leadership skills. The way I told our staff recently was this. I have focused a lot on leading people rather than following Jesus. And God did a massive recorrection over the last few months. And part of the reason that I've been gone over the last few weeks is, is not just because to get away on vacation, but because in the last few months I've needed it. I've needed to get with God. I've needed to be, get back to following Jesus. You know, my wife and I, as we've come back, we said, you know what, we're done with putting the mask on. We just got to be who we are. If people don't like it. I'm done being perky. You know, I've been there. I'm not going to do it anymore. No more penguin mask. No more holy mask. But to be real, I think it begins with the leaders of the church. And so, yes, even though we tend to reward those who are holy, those who appear happy, that you want to spend time around, though we tend to uh, you promote those who are accomplished and have the resume, to be a leader here in Discovery, amidst of all of that, it requires first and foremost the ability to be real. you got to be real with somebody. We're going to be real as a leadership, and we're going to lead in that because here's what I've seen over the years. There's a lot of people who come hurting. They don't need to see perfection. There's a lot of people living in your neighborhoods, even in your own homes and your kids. They don't need to see perfection. They need to see the reality of the gospel. That Jesus makes a difference. And that's who we want to be as a church. Secondly, I'll say this. We need to create a culture of grace. And here's where I think it begins. Jesus created a culture of grace where he welcomed people to come just as they were. The reality for us is each one of us has been deeply affected by sin. I know we say often, we're all sinners We all fall short of the glory of God. But the reality, as we walk through these things, we have been deeply bruised and battered and wounded and hurt by this broken world. So we show up with a trail of tears, a trail of wounds, a trail of hurts, a trail of wrong decisions. And as a church, we need to be a place where there is a culture of grace, where all can come to Jesus, just as he welcomed them, that we'll welcome people in Jesus' name. And that there is always an opportunity for anybody on any given day, any given Sunday, to come forward and to say, you know what, this is what I'm struggling with. Not having to do it on stage, but to to come and pray where any leader can come and say, you know what, I'm struggling with this. My marriage is hurting. And that we love and we care through that. And we talk about how we can go through that. But we need to be in a place where we can come. Because that's what Jesus allows us to do. Beyond that, we also need to create a culture of truth. Uh, We live in both grace and truth, because Jesus did this very well. He had the pointed words. He was able to speak truth, not judgment, but truth. When people come in grace, he didn't just say, come as you are, come as you are, come as you are. It's come as you are, discover Christ and all the truth that he brings, and be transformed by him. And he wants to use a community that speaks truth into one another's lives. Not from a judgmental seat of, you need to do this, you're wrong in this way, you're, but to say, hey, these are what we've learned. This is where we're looking at God's word. This is how we grow together. Not only in areas of sin and temptation, but also in helping each other uh, figure out the path 
that God has for us, speaking into purpose, speaking into life decision, to say that may not be wise that God has for, uh, for you. Or even speaking into things like spiritual gifts. You know, years ago, we had a church softball team, and we welcomed all to come, but the reality was not everyone was very good at softball. And so it was a great kind of church gracious event, but it wasn't very good at accomplishing what we had set out to do, win some ball games. You know, and and same thing is here. You, you know, when you come, not everybody is a singer. Not everybody is a speaker. Not everybody uh, is gifted in different ways. But we need to be able to speak truth in life because everybody has been gifted by God and has a part in the body. Let's just help each other find out what that is. So we need to speak truth. And when we lead with grace, we can have the opportunity to speak that truth. We need to create a culture of growing in grace and truth. Because in the end, community is not an end to itself. We're not just here to enjoy being together. There's that. Jesus has called us to be disciples who make disciples. We have a purpose, and he has called us to grow in him. So sometimes in community, we become kind of a, a support group where we come and we share our sins, and we say, oh yeah, I struggled with that too. But we don't point to Jesus in growing forward. How would Jesus help you to grow? How does he call us to, to learn from one another and to grow? The way we do this finally is this. We create circles of authentic community. I just want to challenge you to think about as we head into this fall, what does your circle of community look like? Because the reality is this. I have this little, little figure here that we can talk to real quick. The reality is the city out there, the world that we live in, they don't have the gospel values that we have. So out there, we will be judged by what we bring to the team, by how good we look, by how our house looks, by how we're doing academically, by how much we're bringing in. But once we get into the church circle here, this is a, a large circle of authentic community where we will share authentically from the stage. People will share testimony, and you'll, you'll hear that. But as we get deeper, the reason we do discovery groups is because it gets increasingly authentic, increasingly real. And you need to find yourself with one or two people that you can be truly real continually, that you trust, that you can share because you know that they know Jesus and that they want to help you grow in him. Now, the best pathway for us to find that is through Discovery Group, where we're continually getting narrow and narrow and narrow. That sounds a whole lot more like the church that we want to be a part of. That sounds a whole lot more like the church that the world wants to see, that we can make a real difference. In the midst of all of this, what we need to understand this morning as we come to an end is this. It begins with Jesus. It begins with what he has for you because this, Jesus wants to transform your life. He wants to bring healing to the places that have been hurt and wounded. He wants to bring transformation. He wants to bring victory over the sins that you have struggled with for years. He wants to bring purpose to a life that is feeling apathetic. 
And so he's given us this gift of community that he's called us to be a part of. But we're going to need to begin by getting real with him. To take a look at those fig leaves that we've been putting on, trying to cover ourselves. Take a look at those masks that we wear each and every day. And right now, as we close, this is going to be just our time of response. Where we come, we take communion. Uh, There's tables at the front and in the middle. Um, We take communion, a piece of bread and a cup of juice to remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That he took your shame, he took your guilt, he took it all so that you didn't have to live with that so that you could have real life and that you could live really before God and among one another. And so if we can just bow our heads. And this is a time of response. You'll come to the tables. If you're a believer in Jesus, we welcome you to come to the tables to partake in this, to to remember what he's done for you. This is a time of responding however he would call you to. To examine yourself, to examine your life. There'll be people on the side for prayer if you want to come and just talk with somebody. If you want to come and receive prayer, we'd love to walk and point you to Jesus. Jesus, we come before you. Thankful for the opportunity. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to see the reality of our sin that we are broken, that we are hurting. Jesus, I even pray in a a vivid way that you would bring to our minds those things even from this past week, those things that we wouldn't want to share with anybody, that would bring us shame, that would bring us guilt. But in the midst of that, Jesus, we pray that you would not leave us there, that you would help us to see that you are already aware of all that. That's why you went to the cross, to bear that guilt, to bear that shame, that we can be truly free, that we can live the life that you have for us. So Jesus, do a work. Show us your grace. Show us your mercy, that we can be transformed by you. Maybe some of us out here have never made that decision before, have never come before Jesus and God in real. Right now, he's welcoming you to come and to just cry out before him. Say, Jesus, I need you. I'm broken. I'm hurting. I need you, Jesus, to come take my pain, to come take my shame, to come take my guilt. For some of us, it's been a while since we've really gotten real, that we've dredged up some of those deep things that have been hurting. Jesus wants to bring you healing. He wants to cover your shame in a way that only he can. So Jesus, we come before you. We're thankful to you. We need you. Come do a work among us. In your name we pray. Amen. And come to the tables as you feel ready. If you need prayer, there will be someone on the side over here.